Talking Real Estate with John Gibson, proudly brought to you by locatenegotiate.com.au. Gibbo, welcome to your show. Thanks, mate. Good to be here. Yeah. yeah. What about the shackles that have come off? We've got a bit more freedom out there. Yeah. You know, we're in a new studio. Things are looking wow. good. Wow. Welcome to Paris Media. Absolutely. Yeah. Flashes a rat with a gold tooth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sure that Harry and the team will take that as a compliment. As always, we have a special guest on the show. Today's no different. An absolute superstar in the world of surf lifesaving. Oh, absolutely, mate. This guy is probably, no doubt, the best waterman on the planet. Possibly a goat. Well, goes without saying, really. Well, before we start... No, tell me this. Yeah. With these new freedoms, are we going to see a return of of a handshake? I'm doing it anyway, but I was doing it Pretty much with people. Are you, like, are you a fan of the old tap and no. this one? I never got quite got that. The I've old. noticed the fist pump in the gym is still a thing. The fist pump in the gym is still a thing. But look, I, I'm different because I was pretty much man hugging all along with people that I know. You're a little bit of a space invader. I probably am. Okay, where are we going with this? Are we going to talk? I don't know. We're going to we're going to roll on, mate. We're just going to okay. get it going. Thanks for. We're going to up next time. We're going to wear a jacket. Okay. We're just going to up the ante. Okay. Well, we've got jackets here. Would you like to put a jacket on? No, we're we're good. We'll just roll into that. Give us another month. Okay. Okay. So before we talk real estate, talk us through your real estate journey and where you kicked off. And I'm going to we're going to return surf. I'm going to yeah. ask you the same thing. You know <laughs> yeah. that? Yeah. Okay. So. My, I come out of school, went straight into real estate, yeah. and I think around about 21, could be 22, mm. had an opportunity to buy a property, didn't have the funds to do it all myself, yeah. and um, mum and dad come on board, and we sort of did a deal together and went in together and um, held that property. They sort of left it up to me to kind of um, manage everything, and they just were in the background. And it was a real good lesson to learn is because it um, – I realised the market had moved a bit yeah. and I decided to trade the property. How old were you? Oh, 21, 22, as yeah. I just said. Yeah. I was around that sort of figure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I look back and I go, I should have just, in hindsight, I should have done my homework and held on to that bit longer because what happened was yeah. I sold it. Yeah, I made a little bit of coin and you won't go broke making a profit. However, I did trade out of it, made a little bit of coin, and then the person who bought it, what I didn't know, if I did a little bit of research before, there was going to be a rezoning change yeah. for that area, which would allow townhouses to go on that block. So I've sold it, made a little bit of coin, thinking I'm the world's best you know, negotiator in real estate, yeah. and then six months later this guy's got a DA in council and he's got townhouses approved, and he unsold... Um, the DA to someone else and made a killing out of it. And I sort of look back now and go, it was a good lesson to learn. And um, what it means is do your homework. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit of homework. Make a few calls. Mm -hmm. Do some investigational work. And if I did that, I probably uh, would have been, had my smile on my face would have been. So mum and dad, Jack and Judy, they kind of went with you with a silent contract, if you like. As an agreement, that silent contract. It was just, it was just, you know, they basically tipped in, yeah. helped out. Yeah. So if they weren't there, I was, I wouldn't have been in a position to do it. 
yeah. I had a little bit of savings there. And, um, you know, at 21, 22, you're not flush with cash. Yeah. And, uh, and what money you did have, um, you, were, you know, you spent it. Where was the property? Miranda? Yeah, Miranda. Yeah. Miranda. That's where I started working at LJ Hooker. Who was your mentor there again? Oh, you're Rod Holder. He's, he's a legend in the game. And everyone who's been... He's got a big smile on your face oh, when you say his a, name. Well, he's a character and uh, anyone who knew him would, would uh, yeah, have good fond memories of him. Old school? Old school, oh, mate. Old white school. shoes? <laughs> old school. Yeah, white shoes. Yeah, all right. So, yeah. where did you kick off? I was... Um, okay, we haven't gone down this path before. Uh, usually we're putting someone else under the heat. I was I'm going to uh, put an egg timer on this too. Yeah, okay. I, I was finishing my football as a very average hack with the Yamina Bunnies. Uh, we'd spent a lot of time on the Central Coast around Terrigal and Wombrel growing up. Were you like 43, 44 when you finished? I was about 34, 35. Right. And uh, thanks for the interjection. And I, I, I thought, you know, if I can handle training two, three, four times a week, including game day, then I could handle the commute. So I was fortunate enough that mum put down a uh, guarantor on a loan and I was able to buy a property at Avoca, a long way from the beach um, in what I called Poverty Lane. It was only 10 years earlier a complete banana plantation. The original owners bought it for 19000 I think I purchased for two forty-two, And that was my initial purchase. I sold out of Avoca or Poverty Lane, the banana plantation, and uh, moved into a little uh, townhouse slash apartment um, in Terrigal. So I was up there about eight to ten years, enjoyed immensely. Eventually the commute did get to me. Um, and that allowed me, because I, I need, I want to promote your services, that allowed me to uh, get a little bit of capital gain. And on your advice, we looked for a humble two better in botany. And we did that. We did that. And... Uh, that's how I put my first step or my, my first foot. You've, you're fast, fast tracking. Yeah. You've put the tail in the water this week. Yeah, I have. Well, how again, on your advice, um, I was able to uh, put a deposit down in a place called Upper Coomera. We mainly went there because we saw infrastructure, the light rail, yeah. halfway to Brisbane, out yeah. near the theme parks. Yeah. I've never slept a night in the home. Uh, and I think there's a little bit of method in that. Um, and a, a very smart... Lebanese man by the name of Mark Asif from Peter Wynn's score. If you don't score here, you'll never score. He always said, let the property work for you. You don't work for the property. And as a result, yes, it has got a capital gain. And I wanted to do something for a lifestyle uh, or a life choice. And looking at real estate markets with, your, with the advantage of your professionalism mm. when it comes to buying and selling and negotiating, we found a place that we love in Kensington, an apartment, so I took a giant leap of faith, John, and I put down the 5%. Now, I've done it in reverse, as you know, and that's all subject to finance and the sale of Coomera. Um, look, they're selling up there very quickly, as you know. I'll leave that, but um, probably not the ideal way that you would have I suggested. Reckon, I reckon there's a fair chance you'll, be, you'll have a gold card at Peter's at Kensington. Well, I'm actually looking into the back wall of, <laughs> of, of Peter's of Kensington as opposed to Ken's of Kensington. Um, yeah, yeah. So, But I, I love it. And, um, yeah, I love it. And it's a, it's a lifetime choice. And it's been made possible mainly by mum that helped me get a, 
a guarantor on, on a loan in Avoca. Fast forward and now, hopefully, a chance to not rent in Sydney but to sell in Brisbane, which has worked for us, mm. and, and buy in Sydney. That's the, that's the plan. As the phone goes off, and we'll take a quick break. Absolutely, mate. You simply go to locatenegotiate.com.au. John Gibson's locatenegotiate.com.au. Buyer's agent, seller's advocacy, consultancy and research advice. Locatenegotiate.com.au. You're talking real estate with John Gibson. So we've gone into each other's backyard. And how we and where we are. Um, you gotta remember, mate, we're Warrens from the Western Suburbs. You're from the the Gibson dynasty. It was it was tougher oh. for me. Anyway, let's go random, as you do. What's your random real estate information for this week, mate? So mate, you you did hear about did you read about those stories where in um, small towns in Italy, um, which were populations of five, seven thousand people, um, for pretty much hundreds of years, and the and they were advertising for people um, to come to those towns, do an acquisition, or buy a property for like a pound or a dollar or a couple of dollars, a couple of American dollars to buy in. And what was happening in those towns is that um, populations uh, were dropping on the back of young people moving out of those towns to go to the big cities. Uh, for better employment opportunities. And so the councils and the mayors of these towns have said, well, how are we going to get, you know, we can't keep this going because we're going to end up with no one in these beautiful towns. And so what they started these promotions of trying to get people back, whether it's locals or foreigners or whoever, did this international campaign where they could, people could go to these towns, spend a little bit of money and get a, have a property. Mm-hmm. But the problem was... What's the problem, John? The problem was is that when people pay their dollar, yes. they turn up, open the door and go, this is... We can't live in here. It's inhabitable. We're going to have to spend 150 k to get it up to speed. So that idea got out that people would have to spend money to get there to a town which they've never lived or seen before. So... There was a town in outside of about 300 k's southeast of Italy, a little town called uh, Bacari. Bacari, it's in the Puglia. I think it's the Puglia region. Yeah. What they did is that they came up with a turnkey solution where people would buy a property for about 7,000, 8,000, 10,000 pound and they come in, they'd open the door and it's all done, ready to move in. So they've been getting a lot of traction. They're going good. The populations are starting to increase because people can get there and actually don't have to spend anything. And when you think about it, 10,000 pound. And have you seen some of the photos of these areas? It's unbelievable. No, but I'm sure we'll send them to Harry here at Paris. You're fairly world travel. No, I'd love to go. Have you been to Italy? No, I haven't. Okay. I haven't and I'd like to. But I Circle circle that in. Hang on, John. All right. That was very random and very, it was insightful. I can relate because I my first job in radio was at 2RG Griffith, Mark, on the Mark Warren Drive. And my first job at 2RG Griffith was with Father Beltrame, God bless his soul, <laughs> and the Italian Music Hour, and uh, which endeared me greatly 
to the Italian population of Griffith, which is 70% of about 35,000 people. Welcome back. This is Talking Real Estate. I'm Mark Warren, your co-host. The main man, the industry leader, is John Gibson, Locate Negotiate Managing Director. Go to locatenegotiate.com.au or call them 1300 008 006. That number again, 1300 008 006, locate Let's talk real estate, John. Momentum easing a little? Well, Mark, you know I do read a little bit of data. Yeah. And the reports will come through. <laughs> Very much. As you know. Yeah. You're on the phone asking me all the time. Yes. So, I mean, there's one I always refer to is the Heron Todd White property clock. Let's just use that as an example. Well, it looks like that property clock has run out of batteries with no movement yeah. in any market. And what I mean by that is, is that if you this when you look at all the towns and suburbs and and capital cities, I mean they're all pretty much in that rising market category and sort of entering the peak of the category. So there's no changes. It's just it's just the market's just gone gangbusters and is resilient and robust and just seems to keep going north. No changes. You say the batteries ran out. See, I think that's a contradiction on terms. I mean, the batteries are going... We're talking about a clock. We're talking about a clock. It's it's going north. It's it's going... Well, it's in a rising market. Some suburbs or, sorry, some towns, some cities are entering the peak. Some are at that sort of A little bit of plateau? A little bit of a plateau? No, I don't think so. I think that... uh, I think that it's too early to say. It's too early to say. Industry leader, John Gibson. What I'm seeing on the ground, being on the ground versus reading about it, it's two different things. What I'm seeing is that I still think that they're good properties, blue chip properties are being hotly contested still. Thank you. And what will happen is rolling rolling into the end end of the year, the market will ease off a little bit because everyone's going to have a spell and... People can't run proper campaigns uh, leading into leading into uh, Christmas, so they'll, stock levels will start coming off a bit, but they'll pick up again in the end of January. Thank you for your insight and professional insight at that. What about commercial property, Gibbo? I, I noticed you've been doing some work with King Living, one of your, your great clients, and they are now opening on the Northern Beaches. Now, Magic Mia has got you all over Instagram and, and Facebook and, and they're going to the Insular Peninsula, they're going to the Northern Beaches King Furniture. Well, it's a no-brainer, really. I mean, you know, King are an Australian-owned company. They're going, gang, just, they're going gangbusters not only in um, Australia. Their quality is above Can I afford Above it? the rest, no. And, uh, what am no, I going to sleep can. on the floor? Of course floor. you can. Course you can. Sleep, do we know someone? Of course you can. But not only are they expanding in uh, Australia, but overseas, you know, the likes of... You know, London, um, they're in Vancouver, they're in Asia, um, Singapore. But on the northern beaches, it is an area which has had exponential growth in property. Um, it's, it's, you know, the, where we're opening up is on the main drag, Condamine Street, a bulky mm-hmm. goods area. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a, their flagship um, mm-hmm. showroom. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to be, it's a, they've got their next shop, it's at Chapswood. They're all over Australia nationally, but Northern Beaches, this is going to be a good one. Okay. Locatenegotiate.com.au. 
locatenegotiate.com.au proudly present John Gibson talking real estate. Simply go to locatenegotiate.com.au. Commercial real estate has showed a lot more action. Is that in part due to the leasing negotiations that you've been able to negotiate on behalf of your clients? Oh, look, let's just talk about office. Office in Sydney and in Melbourne has been very, very tough, uh, especially in the CBD areas um, due to the pandemic. People working from home can't go into the office. Um, Business footprints probably will reduce somewhat. But when you go to the likes of Brisbane, where they've had minimal lockdown, they've had, and when you throw in low interest rates, and then you throw in that they're going to the Olympics has been announced. There's a lot of positive vibe going on in around Brisbane. Demand is strong mm. up there at the moment. Sydney, it's it's got a ways to go. Um, for instance, you, you talk Brisbane, but also I mean areas such as Newcastle, yep. Gold Coast, Coffs Harbour, yep. in the regional areas, um, they're all in a rising market as well. You mentioned also the announcement in July of hosting the 2032 Olympic Games, also a big factor there in Brisbane. Well, that's what I was saying. You know, it's yeah. got, it, I can't see the downside. Let's get back to... It's only expose it to the world, Brisbane. Absolutely. Let's get back to residential stuff. What areas in a rising market category are catching your eye? Well, there's many... Many, many, many areas. I mean, we're talking Adelaide. I'll just look at my list here. Yeah. You know, we're talking Adelaide, Byron Bay, Brisbane, Cairns, Coffs Harbour, Gold Coast, Melbourne, Port Hedland, Southern Highlands, Sunshine Coast, Sydney, Townsville, which Sundays. The list just keeps going on. Yeah. 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 You, you mentioned the Sunshine Coast. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, and you had some, you were talking to me earlier today well, on the phone. Just, yeah. You relayed a, a very interesting story on the Sunshine Absolutely. Coast. Absolutely. Well, I think it was late 2019. I was up in Maroochydore and saw yeah. a large barge moored off the Maroochydore beach. And yeah. um, Beautiful. There was spot. excavators, winches, and you know divers and boats. And as it turns out, they were laying about 550 kilometres of fibre optic cable uh, underground. So uh, it was a massive project um, for the Sunshine Coast. And so they're going to have their high-speed internet uh, submarine cable yeah. is a real, real attraction to small, medium and big business. So the market is going from strength to strength. Gang the property buses. market is yeah. going from strength to strength. Yeah. And, you, the, and you throw this in the mix too. Um, yeah. It's a great incentive for... Um, for um, people to move up there and feel that, you know, that, I mean, it's it's going to be the fastest broadband in Australia, more or less. So it's very attractive for small business and, you know, it's it's going to be built as a business location. What about growth or in Sydney? What about growth in Sydney this year? Well, I'm just going to read some numbers out here. Yeah, you know, when you, please when do. According to CoreLogic, property values rose 1.9% in September. Mm-hmm. But the compelling part about this, we're nudging up to 24% over the year. Mm-hmm. Mind you, the year hasn't finished yet. So we could be getting over 25% growth. Mm-hmm. You know, the average house in Sydney is now worth $1.31 million, And the average unit is 825000 That's across Sydney. 
Yeah. You know, look, Brisbane is the same. You know, that's just it, the growth there has been exponential. Um, a typical house in Sydney is now about nudging three hundred grand more expensive than it would have been at the beginning of January. And units, yeah, they're units. almost they're about ninety odd thousand plus as much as well. So it's 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 bucked the trend, especially we keep harping on it when we consider that uh, during the pandemic we were tipped that there were going to be drops of up to thirty percent in the residential market. Just Absolutely. unbelievable. Yeah, just unbelievable. Let's talk clearance rates and let's get upbeat here, John. Let's talk clearance rates. Well, clearance rates have risen on higher volumes. What it shows is that buyer competition is still there, still intense and going strong. Uh, I think as we see restrictions ease further, we are likely uh, to see listings continue to rise. Mm -hmm. Um, Once we start to see a real jump, that's when it will be a real test on clearance rates Uh overall. Uh Look, homes on the northern beaches, Camden, Hawkesbury Council... Uh, were most profitable, uh, with ninety nearly ninety eight percent selling more than the purchase price. Just told you right there. So very interesting to me, Camden and Hawkesbury, and you you told me some suburbs in and around those areas. Camden, and please correct me if I'm wrong. It's almost regional, but not regional. It's almost a farm type atmosphere, but mm. it's still considered part of Sydney. Is there a, a link there in proximity to the new Badgeries Creek Airport? Oh, absolutely. Look, I think that that's going to be an attraction. You can't rule it out. I get people asking me all the time. Mm. Um, like if you're at uh, Glenmore Park or Camden, well, Glenmore Park's 20, going to be 20 minutes from the, from the new airport. And what that will bring, um, the airport will bring jobs, jobs and more jobs. And the infrastructure built around the airport um, is going to be attractive um, to well, a lot of people, investors. Segway again, Glenmore Park. Now that's off the no- off the northern road. Now, now a few people are around, living around. Yeah, absolutely. And and so, Brandy Greg Alexander's first home was in Glenmore Park. And then one of our get we'll get Brandy on actually. We'll get Brandy on locatenegotiate.com.au. Greg Alexander, you're coming on the show. He'll do that for us. We'll have a good chat. Yeah. Um, we might get Tanya on the line as well. But going to Glenmore Park, yeah, so he bought in Glenmore Park. Now, Glenmore Park back then was mainly lots. Yeah, look, I think, it's, I think it's built up. It's built up. There's yeah. been a lot being built around oh, it's a, it's it. A, so it's, 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 look, it's going to be, as I said, it's going to be 20 minutes to the airport. So that's going to be attractive to a lot of people. Mm. Um, and it's going to, as this pandemic, we come out of it, immigration, um, people start coming back into Australia, um, People are going to be pushing the growth, which is forecast to expand out that greater West Sydney, is going to go. Um, it's going to go gangbusters. And you know who else bought in Glenmore Park when it was mainly lots? He'd been a guest on this show, Freddie. Freddie Fittler with his pink, his pink mansion. <laughs> MG loved it because MG is a mad Elvis fan. <laughs> All it needed was a pink flamingo out the front. It was amazing. It was just these lots. And these yeah. a couple of giant homes, but um, they you think I you know what even they would look back. You're talking about you know what you did with your first investment. Imagine I can only imagine what the capital gain would be on what Gregory's home was when he's to now. 
But it's but that's like there's never a perfect time, is there, John, to to buy or to sell? There's never a perfect time. Well, I think even the best guys get it wrong, like yourself with Miranda. Every now and then, the townhouses. Every now and then, absolutely. What about rental vacancies, mate? Well, there look supplies up, mm-hmm. and especially when you look at the inner west of Sydney, um, what's going to happen there is is that because we haven't got the students coming in. Yeah, um, that's that's been a little bit tricky for you know the vacancy rate is is definitely high, but that will once that the students start coming back in, yeah. it will those the vacancies levels will. With a vested interest, I'll stop you there. Is there a glut of units? on the market, whether to buy or to rent in certain pockets of Sydney? Yeah, there will be for sure. Even when we're you in say a, when they open borders that that's probably, it's not going to be the glut that maybe... Yeah, I'm but there's going to be, I still think there's certain areas, you buy in blue chip areas, there's always going to be good demand, but there's going to be areas which are going to have um, a lot of build-up. There's some areas which have been red flagged, and we can talk about that next yeah. time we go okay. come into our old podcast, which, okay. you know, you, you just... I just think there's just they've built too many units in, in the one spot too quickly. So I just think that there's a few red flags for certain areas of Sydney, but other areas of Sydney are going gangbusters. Well, this is Locate Negotiate with their managing director, John Gibson. We're talking real estate, access all areas with John Gibson. And on the other side of this break, locatenegotiate.com.au, an absolute superstar in the world of surf life saving. Talking Real Estate with John Gibson and proudly brought to you by locatenegotiate.com.au. Buyer's agent, seller's advocacy, consult and research service, commercial tenancy representation, locatenegotiate.com.au. Or give the team a call. It's 1300 008 006. That number again, 1300 008 006 locatenegotiate.com.au Unchallenged as the greatest Ironman in the world, a title that sits fittingly with a man who took up the sport as a nipper in 1976 and went on to dominate it for the next century. He competed for the Surface Paradise Club on the Gold Coast. He's won six Australian Open Ironman titles surpassing Grant Kenny's record, a string of Queensland titles that stretch back to the mid-80s. In 94, he claimed his fourth consecutive Ironman title in the United Kingdom. A four-time winner of the Uncle Toby Super Series, the man that everybody wanted to be. He won the series in its first year, 89-90. He backed it up with outstanding performances, 90-91, 91-92 and the 93-94 seasons. And the, the CV goes on and on and on. But we'll let that unfold. It's a very good afternoon to the GOAT of surf life saving. Trevor Hendy, welcome to Locate Negotiate. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That's a, that is a massive intro and humbling, very, very humbling. Um, and the, the crazy thing about it is I think Probably in modern times, you know, Shannon Eckstein's gone on to break a few of those records too. And then Ali Day has also gone on to do, you know, break a couple and he's the, the current champ. So it's funny. 
I reckon I could call them the greatest <laughs> of all time, no doubt about it. And the cool thing is, though, that I got to have a hand in their careers as well. So it's kind of cool to explore all that and hear all that back because I haven't heard all that for a while. So it's good to be with you guys. John good, Gibson, good. I'll let you rip. Here you go, mate. Trev, plenty to talk about, mate, um, including how you jumped out of a moving boat into the ocean and caught a fish with your bare hands. <laughs> any, tr- any truth to that, mate? Yes, there is. Um, yeah, it's kind of a little bit different to that. Um, and I, it's interesting. I didn't know where you got that story from, but not many people would know that. I do my we homework, finishing. Trev. I do my homework. I think yeah, Bano does your homework for you. Yeah, we'd finished filming. There's a few examples of me catching fish with my hands and ending up on the backs of whales and dolphins and all sorts of different stuff, but um, something about me and the water. But uh, I actually finished filming um, one day with the Nutrigrain series at Newcastle Beach, and I was on the jet ski as a, as a commentator, but because I can drive a jet ski well, I actually was my own driver. So I would drive around and commentate for myself and everything. At the end of the day, when we had to take the two jet skis back, we were fanging out to sea. <laughs> to go back and get picked up and go back with the um, have dinner with the, 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 you know, the crew of the whole Channel 10 production. And we're, we're fanging on the jet skis and I looked down and I saw this blue big streak sort of come up towards the surface as I was flying past on the jet ski. And I went, well, what was that? So I rotated back around and then it came up a second time and it was coming up to try and get these fish off the surface. And I kind of timed it as I was coming around. As I came up next to it, I could see it coming up again and I thought, Here's my chance. So literally, I had the the um the lanyard on my on my wrist as well on the jet ski, and I just dived off, um out to sea. Dived as this fish was coming up, and ended up with this. I probably think it was probably about um twelve, fourteen pound, fifteen pound uh, blue grouper. <laughs> oh, beautiful! <laughs> ended beautiful. up wrestling this fish, and my buddy had seen me. Came, <laughs> came back around. He pulled up next to me, and he was like. Mate, if you, what happened? You fell off like he was on the other side of the jet ski on his jet ski. And literally, I, as I climbed out of the water, I said, nah, nah, I just needed to grab this. And I lifted it up out of the water and had this my hands in the gills wow. of this big blue grouper. Oh, wow. And the story, the story ends that we picked up the jet skis and took them back to the, you know, the producer and director's house and ended up cutting it up and had um, sashimi and fish and chips all afternoon and fed the whole so the whole thing was jumped into the ocean and fed the whole crew. <laughs> but it's, an, it's notorious, but the funny thing is it's actually true. Ah, uh, very My good. Very goodness. good. It's just freakish. Now, Trev, you were born in Melbourne. How did you end up on the Gold Coast? Yeah, uh, mate, great question. And something I was just thinking about with the client I was just with a moment ago, I, I do life coaching sessions and we're exploring his childhood and, and I was sharing a bit of mine. But basically my father left he came home from work had all the things the house the picket fence the beautiful wife the two kids the pets and everything he had a great job into the great company and he felt like something wasn't right he didn't feel like he'd found exactly what he wanted to do and he also didn't feel he'd found exactly where he wanted to raise his family and so he came home to my mum and to her credit when he said i think we should sell the house up put it in storage and explore our own country for a couple of years and work out where we're going to raise the kids she felt whatever he was feeling and she went bravely went with it and i love that fact because it basically in my growing up as i was three years old then so we left mm. my sister was eight so she did school by correspondence we traveled around australia for over two years but in that value of him standing for that he was more inclined to stand for an intuition and, and some sort of burgeoning wisdom inside of him than he was for the idea that he had everything you know, he didn't want to live in society in the way that he was supposed to. He suddenly felt like as if he could do better. Mm. And he explored the country for the next couple of years 
and I, I grew up in places, you know, right a lot around the northern northern states and um, a lot of time in Northern Territory and Queensland and Western Australia. I tell a lot of people that we would pull over on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere, 1971 I'm talking about, and he would take my sister and I for a walk off into the bush while my mum was cooking dinner and that could be a bit of beef or a bit of fish that we caught or a bit of rabbit, you know, and, and so literally she'd be cooking dinner and we'd actually be taken off on this journey and we, we cottoned onto it pretty early that dad would take us for a 40-minute walk and then he'd say to us, okay, after we changed direction multiple times, he'd say, okay, which way is the caravan? Take me back. Wow. And so he, we learnt how to always know where home was, you know, and home was uh, wherever the heart was, wherever the family mm. was. So those values of always explore outside the, you know, the accepted paradigms, always know where home is and home is wherever the family is, wherever the heart is. Those three things are really, really powerful. Plus, you throw in a bit of adventure. You throw in learning how to swim. I learned how to swim in the Daly River. Wow. And anyone who knows about the Daly River, mm. um, in 1971, when crocodiles were still mm. being shot for skins, we swam up. You know, we swam there all the time, and we used to swim back down to the river crossing where we camped from these big sandbanks that we'd run into. And the last time we left there in 1971, we received a message down further down the track from our friends in Darwin saying. You won't believe it. They caught a, a 15-foot crocodile sitting up on top of that sand dune, you know. And so I, I always feel that I basically turned into a fast swimmer because something inside of me felt that <laughs> I wasn't going to be at the back of the pack even though I was a four-year-old at that stage. I found my way through the pack so I wasn't at the back. So, you know, I learned crazy, amazing things and we ended up settling on the Gold Coast because it was the city or the town that most reflected what my dad where my dad wanted to raise us it had opportunities it was like a city but it was really a town it was close to the ocean close to the hinterland and everything else and i've been here ever since and now i sit on precinct committees on the gold coast and all sorts of different stuff and i feel like i'm part of the spirit here and and i've, I've loved it joined nippers when i was eight and cried my eyes out on the first day okay i'll, I'll hold you there trevor we are talking to superstar trevor hendy and if you'd like to see some of his work or how he can help you, it's trevorhendy.com, and it's trevorhendy.com. You mentioned rabbit, by the way. Very, very good. Grew up on it. And, uh, yes. And uh, my father would tell me that the only, the only chickens they got at Junee were if they were run over by the trains. So rabbit was very much on the menu. You've got to cook it right, though, as you, as you well know. Mate, what attracted you to the surf and surf lifesaving? Uh, look, great question. Two things really quickly. One, my mum and dad ended up spending time at Junee, by the way. Wow, um, really? Really? Yeah, he went back there and actually was building something. Maybe there was a yeah, it was a hotel or something being built and he was the foreman you know on that, that site. Like, well, no, my, my was dad will. When I, I was an adult. Well, I reckon, you know? I reckon my dad will know for sure because it's part of his pastime. That it's anything Junee. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Wow. Yeah, so Ron, Ron Hendy. Ron Hendy was there in Junee as a, as a foreman on a work site for quite a while. Wow. But um, – but guys, I, I, you know what? Do you remember that show, Man from Atlantis? You know, Patrick Duffy ended up being in, in, the, in the show Dallas. Only oh, just, I, mate. Only just. I'm a bit young. No, no. Okay, okay. No, I remember. I remember. I remember. I was a fan. I was well, a big fan in my of early teens. Yeah. I, I reckon that's I'm 12, 13, 14, maybe yeah. at that stage in my memory. But I remember thinking that was me. 
before I had any ocean talent or before I'd even really I never I never won a race till I was 16 like I never won anything till I was 16 at 15 I wrote all my goals out to be world champion and I although I knew I'd been bullied a lot as a kid and I thought well the winner seems to get all the respect and seem to get the girls so if I if I become the champion I'll I'll get that finally instead of being the little kid that gets kicked around everywhere um so that wasn't a really healthy motivation by the way because it came back on me later but um but also I was so passionate about friends and community and I loved yeah. the ocean. It was the only place that I felt really free. And I always, in the man from Atlantis, if he was away from the bathtub or the shower or the swimming pool or the lake or the ocean for too long, he would start to lose his powers. Yeah. And I always felt like that. I, as I got older and as I sort of came through puberty and everything, I was alive if I was, if I was near the ocean. And I just, there's something in my spirit that I literally felt I was one with it and I could see things that other people couldn't see and you know that whole thing ten thousand hours to mastery mm. well i trained a lot but in between training i surfed a hell of a lot yeah you know trevor you're, coach you're, you're sorry you were you always good when you were, when you were competing no no when i when i was 15 and i made the decision i wanted to be world ironman champion i was number five out of six in my own surf club in junior ironman so 300 clubs in Australia, I was fifth out of six people, you know, and the, young, this, the guy that was six who was one of my best buddies. He couldn't paddle a ski and I talked him into the club championship so I wouldn't come last. So, no, guys, I, I've got a sporting pedigree. My father was Australian Armed Forces boxing champion and my uncle Robert, he was Empire Games um, record wow. holder for 3,000 metre steeplechase. Um, and mum played, you know, handy golf and dad Dad and that my, one of my other um, was my, one of my other uncles or cousins was a Victorian sprinting champion, so I had a lot of pedigree. But I was a shy little kid. I, I was holding onto my mum's coattails the whole time, and I was scared of the world. And it wasn't until I really found a place that I felt at home that I felt, started to tap into that power of being a young man going through puberty. And I actually set that goal within three years, two and a half years. I was Australian Open Ironman champion second youngest person to do it from Grant, Kenny, at the time. And then a year later, um, I was World Ironman champion, the youngest person to ever win that. So but Trev, that I, well, Trev, I did read of- that you even – did you – with the competitive – I read you had a competitive streak despite having a fear of competition. Um, yeah, I, don't, I think I developed that when I started to feel bullied, when I felt like as if the winner gets the girl – I felt I had to win to get all that. So that started me about 15 or 16. But I couldn't care less when I was a kid. People mm. often say to me, did you dream of being an Ironman champion or being a sporting champion? I was like, nah. You know, I didn't didn't dream of all. There's one stage I played cricket, you know, as a 12, 13-year-old. And, you know, I started to think about playing cricket for Australia, you know, and that lasted for about, I don't know, until I worked out I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> um, so, no, I, I don't reckon it, it was a funny thing. It more came from the competitive streak, came from me when I went through puberty and went, I don't want to be the little one anymore. And then it came out of me like nothing else. And then I had the most, I, I wanted to win everything. You simply go to locatenegotiate.com.au. John Gibson's locatenegotiate.com.au. Buyer's agent, seller's advocacy consultancy and research advice locatenegotiate.com.au you're talking real estate with john gibson my memories we go that next step my memories of the uncle toby's series were bigger than ben-hur compelling 
viewing on television. TV ratings were through the roof. You guys were the absolute rock stars. How was it like living through that? In fact, I think you're on Baywatch. How was it? I mean, I, I to me, I think when I think Iron Man and growing through that TV era That's when huge. I was younger, and I'm the same vintage as yourself, I think about Grant initially and that movie, Cool and Get a Gold. I think of Guy Leach. I think of Trevor Hendy. And I think of the Mercers. Were they the, were they the superstar days, if you know what I mean, of that era? Absolutely, and and um, you know the the late Dean Mercer, who God bless, who, uh, passed with a heart attack a couple of years back and devastated all of us. Um, yeah. you know when that occurred, it allowed us all to reflect on a lot of that too, you know, and really get the humble, you know, the humility of how grateful we were for the whole experience. And um, a couple of things. One was I, I won six Australian Ironman titles. I got second three times, once to Guy Andrews and two times to Dean Mercer. And in a sprint up the beach to Dean, and at the time I was devastated. My whole world was rocked and everything else. But when Dean passed, I was so thankful that he had won those races and that he beat, you know, beat me in those races, and his kids could say, you know, their dad had won those titles and everything else. And so that they were amazing times. We had um, a couple of million people watching us. We didn't have all the internet and have all the other channels and the pay TV and the Netflix and you know Facebook or Instagram. So it was a captive audience. Channel 9, Channel 7, Channel 10, maybe Channel 8, maybe ABC, people watching, maybe SBS after a while. And so we had massive audiences and we were outrating the golf and the and the tennis and then mm. most days of the cricket we'd outrate and yeah. having an amazing time. And, you know, I, and we ended up on Baywatch. I ended up, you know, <laughs> hanging with Donna and meeting Michael Jackson and we, we toured we toured with the Beach Boys and we were their support act. My goodness, Christ. Bloody hopeless. I but saw we the were, Beach Boys at Narrabeen Lakes. I saw the oh, Beach Boys. Yeah, we, yeah. We, that's when we supported them. We played before them. Oh, well, you, I've seen you live. I'm sorry. <laughs> I right. think I might have only turned up to the main event. <laughs> my my apologies, Trev. So, Trev. <laughs> you must have missed the main, the main part of the show, but um, yeah. yeah, you didn't miss much. But, that's uh, unbelievable. You're at the top of your game, massive amounts of exposure. You're a household name. And then came sponsorship, endorsements, and, and a money stream. So when did you dabble in property? And can you tell us your property journey? Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a funny one because I'm, I'm not in that area now, which is yeah. interesting. Um, I've been renting for quite a while and just being really freeing myself out of the whole concern around it. I've been yeah. on it quite a, let's, you know, a word that I don't like, the connotation of generally, but quite a spiritual journey around just, letting go of all those things right but but basically i you know got my first house um when i got those first contracts and got the first big prize money and i managed to get this beautiful house on the water and you know and at this stage i remember in this period of time i had a a, my first marriage broke up after seven years of getting lost in that fame and losing my way and losing my ethics and integrity and getting caught up in the sugar of it all um and and that relationship broke up and then my second relationship started so i you know all of a sudden you, you're splitting properties and you're selling this and you're doing that which is a fascinating personal aspect of the journey but then i'm buying an investment property here or a unit and then you know that's hardly moving or changing and this is kind of so i'm talking about late 80s and then yeah. early 90s and 
stuff like that. And then obviously there was moments when property market just went through the roof and then we had interest rates at one stage were up to 17, 18%. Mm. And, you know, so it was a real, it was like, not unlike my, my career of riding through waves, you know, waves and sets and big days and small days. But I ended up um, having an amazing house that I invested into three, two units. And then I bought the third unit and turned it into a house. And that was on the beachfront and Hedges Avenue. Um, and then that became a multi-million dollar property as that skyrocketed through the roof, but then made mis- financial mistakes and ended up in bankruptcy. And, uh, you know, I actually had a lot of retrospectively legislated tax schemes that I'd been into, you know, get good advice from people that are looking after, you know, um, high-end clientele. And they're like, yeah, everyone's doing this. And and my issue was I didn't want to know about money and I didn't want to deal yeah. with it. I didn't want to take responsibility for it. I just wanted to be happy, you know. So I did so, all these things. Trev, you know, you... at the end of it, I, I got it all, lost it, got it, lost it, got it, lost it. And yeah. then I went, you know what? It probably hasn't defined me. But, yeah, I learned a lot about it. Yeah, yeah. It's um, sometimes you put your, your faith in other people and, um, you know, and you don't do your homework and, Things go yeah, pear-shaped pretty quickly, don't they? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I want to segue back into your career. Why didn't you attempt to have a crack at the 2000 Olympics? Yeah, right. So in 94, I announced that I was going to switch over to kayaking. Um, I did it for four years. Uh, incredibly um, political sport and um, a real struggle. And I, I aligned with the guys that I loved paddling with and being with, and I loved their presence in their company and we did some amazing things. So by 1998, we raced at the world championship. So I made the Australian team in 98. So on one stage I did a really fast K1 1000 time, um, you know, and got in a, it was in a really powerful K4. No one in Australia got near us for a couple of seasons, Mm. won a couple of Australian titles in a row um, at the 96 Olympic trials, we got second in, in, with a different crew. So I got this other, with this other crew, we got together two years in a row. We kind of smashed it, had an amazing experience and then ended up going to world championships. And um, there's a personal aspect to this. Um, I went to that world championships. We got, we got third in the world cups and fifth in the world championships. We were in the wrong lane in a very windy lane in the final. We're probably the third fastest crew in the world. Um, there are things I still needed to learn. So there were ways that I wasn't as, as sort of as strong and as consistent in them as training. I was still waiting for the wave to come down the course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course, you don't get that. But we, we're an amazing combination. We have moments when we hit magical heights. But ultimately what happened was um, I went to the party after the World Championships and, and um, members of other countries' teams, when they get all a bit celebratory, um, started telling me about their um, artificial enhancement of their yeah. performance. Oh, that was my next question. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I, it blew my mind. I, I was heartbroken because I, I don't, I, I'm not in sport for, you know, I loved winning, but ultimately I'm in sport because I love the challenge of it and the flowing and becoming the best version of myself. And, and the winning thing's always stuck there. So all of a sudden I had a choice between do I do what it takes to win or do I – and I was never going to go down that path, never anywhere near it, but um, it wasn't even a suggestion. But I'm, I'm talking about train extra, super hard to try and beat these guys that yeah. maybe, you know, suggestibly not doing what they should be doing. And, uh, and I was like, actually, you know what? It made me feel that sport and the Olympics might not be what it was all about. And I, I actually kind of felt more like I wanted to help other people win than I wanted to do that myself. So I came home as a member of the Australian team yeah. um, 
and you know fifth top five in the world top three in the world and um and literally withdrew and announced that I was retiring from sport because I realized I didn't want to win anymore I want to help other people win so I ended up commentating for two of those members um Dan Dan Collins and Andrew Trim at um in the K2 at Sydney Olympics and I love those blokes they were just you know, just ripper blokes. And we were with Pete Scott as well. John Samigi was our coach. He was on an 80 uh, silver medalist in K1. And we were a tight little group. And uh, and I commentated for them, hung out with them and everything else. And they missed the title of the K2 1000 by, I think it was like seven one hundredths or something like that. So they got a silver medal. So I was, I was happy to be there with them and supporting them. And I didn't need to add Olympian to my thing. I actually needed to let go of all that to, to get on to what I was about for the rest of my life. You turned your back perhaps at the peak of your powers and did not go back with a stance to yourself and a stance against what you were against. You are to be commended, my, my friend. Moving oh, on. In 2015, Trev, you came out of retirement at 46 years of age. Now, I know boxing. It's a little bit like George Foreman. Uh, and, and, and to race with your son, TJ, he was just 18, at the Australian titles. Somewhere I'm pretty sure I read you didn't train. Fact. You won a gold medal in the Australian board rescue event and having lived on the Central Coast, Terrigal Avoca, I just know how much the Aussies mean to these surf lifesavers. It's just off the world. And, yes, they do know how to party. A huge crowd at Kira. That must have been right up there for you. That's um, a very perfect question to ask. When I lost my way in the middle of my career um, with all the fame and the heights and everything, TJ was born, you know, seven, I was I was married, Jackie and I were married at 19, um, and Christelle was born at 19. And then um, TJ was born when I was 26, and then Joe and I have had um, Bailey and Charlie since, and every child has taught me another lesson, you know, another thing that reflect powerful things. But when I held TJ in my arms, I realised I wasn't the man that I needed to be. I, I didn't, I wasn't the father I needed to be to raise a young man like that. I wasn't the father that my father was. I'd lost my way and I was, you know, stuck in the goodies of life. And I, so he actually was what, he started the change in me and he, he started the personal development journey. I started seeking out people. When the student's ready, the teacher appears I started teaching people that could help me with emotions and my mind and my heart and love and relationships and everything else, and it turned my whole life around. And um, so here I am, 19, 20 years. Actually, I think you might have been just coming up to 20 years of age maybe at that stage, 19, yeah. 20. Yeah. And I'm um, 46, 47. And, um, and Is it true said, you didn't train? Is it true you did not yeah, train? No, I did. I'd just come back, and I'd been overseas for a few months yeah. traveling the US and Canada, and yeah. I was – I, I trained for eight weeks. Okay. <laughs> and um, a couple of ins did, and outs. <laughs> I, did, I did Pete Evans Paleo Way for eight oh. weeks, and I lost eight kilos in eight weeks. <laughs> and um, my only goal was to be able to pick TJ up as fast as I possibly could. As a swimmer, he would swim out. As soon as he touched the can, I would paddle out, pick him up. We got Olympic swimmers in that, and the best Ironman and everything else. It's a real blue ribbon event. It's the last event on a Saturday. Several thousand competitors, all the families. Unknown caller. And we got fourth, 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 fourth through all the rounds, which is means you qualified just. And then, and then basically in the semi final, we won the semi final, and then we had this big conversation to start with tears in our eyes, saying it doesn't matter what happens here in this event. We're living the dream. I'm with my son. I love him. I adore him. 
I've done the full circle. I'm the man that I want to be. I've got this son. He's the man. He's an amazing young man too. He'd never won an Australian championship. And in the final, it just all came together. I picked, he picked, I picked him up in eighth spot. We did the worst change ever. We paddled like we were one person. And we came all the way through the field, seventh, sixth, fifth, fifth, fourth, third. And a run up the field, run up the finish line for second and first. And we won by 15 centimetres. And never been done in the sport before. That is, that, that, that's just huge. How awesome. Like a, huge. I've had a bit to do with the club. How awesome. I've had a lot to do with it. Well, oh, they love the board rescue. The that's, their, that's the Blue Raban. Oh, it's yeah. Just a great story. Yeah. Hendy so takes huge, the goal. Huge, huge completion. <laughs> I bet fair, fair that feeling would have been unbelievable. But uh, So was Trev, the feeling of the phone going off during we did that. Because we're going to keep it. This is absolutely, live. This absolutely. Is live. I, um, Trev, your relationship with Kelly Slater, where did that all start? Um, oh, we kept missing each other. I'd go to a party in Manly. Um, I, I knew him from a young age. I could see him and I was like, oh, I feel like I'm connected with this guy. I just felt like... He was like me, and I wanted to look out for him, but he was on the other side of the, you know, the Pacific Ocean. And um, But I'd follow his career really closely. I loved the way he went about it. And then I'd go to a party in Manly, and I'd go walk in. they go, oh, Kelly just left. And then he'd walk into a party at Burley Heads, and they go, oh, Trevor Hendy just left. You know, and then one time I was in Bali, and I, I actually ended up with a staph infection, and I didn't go to this big event where all the Ironmen went, and all the surfers turned up, and they all hung out all night, and all of my best mates hung out with Kelly, and Kelly's like, so where's Trevor? You know, like, so we knew of each other, and then ultimately he turned up on the Gold Coast for an event, and three different people in 24 hours said, oh, here's Kelly's phone number if you want to call up, and I'm like, people not realise I don't even know him, you know, and so I called him out of the blue and said, hey, Kel, it's Trev Hendy. You know, I just got given your number. I just wanted to say, hey, while you're around, if you want to, you know, go for a surf or wow. or something. And he went, oh, my God, Trev, it's so good to hear from you. Absolutely. Hang on. Do you play golf? And I'm like, yep. He goes, is this your number? I go, yep. He goes, I'll call you right back. So <laughs> he called me back 10 minutes later and goes, can you play in, in, in 45 minutes at Terranora Lakes? And I'm like, yep. And he's wow. like, see you there. So I rocked up and Mark Ocalupo and John Shamuka, who's unfortunately since passed, yep. had both set up the golf carts to make sure Kelly and I were in together. And um, we, so we rock up and Kelly and I rock up at the same time. like, hey, how are you? Like this. And like, the boys are like, you guys have got to sit together. And so we played golf together that day, went back, hung out that night, had dinner. Three o'clock in the morning, we're still sitting on the couch, comparing notes, talking. The next morning at six o'clock, I pulled my fishing boat out and we went fishing for the day to the next night and we just became best mates. How, and, um, how good is that your life has been, is, continues to be a field of dreams as we start to wrap this up? Um, we cannot thank you enough. Uh, you're now highly sought after as a, as a corporate and sporting and life coach, mentor, author and speaker. You've done some mentoring with the AFL uh, on that side of things and some work taking a passionate ocean swimmers to Lord Howe Island with Gibbo's good mate, Bano. And uh, we, we thank Bano for helping us pull this together today, a chat with one of the goats. His name is Trevor Hendy. And if you'd like to check out the journey and continue the journey with Trevor, you go to trevorhendy.com. And if we can ever help you in any regard, it would be our pleasure. Thank you for being a part today as John will bid you farewell. As part of our show, locatenegotiate.com.au. Thanks, Trevor. Much appreciate you coming on, mate. And I look forward to catching up, mate, when you're down this way or when the border's open, mate. We'll, uh, we'll see if we can uh, cross paths. 
Thank you, John. Thanks, guys. It's re- been really cool. And thanks to Bano as well. And by the way, Bano and I got third and fourth in the Australian Junior Ironman Championship in 1996. No, no, 19, 1986. Yeah. Um, so that's how far we go back. So all these brothers from other mothers, it's good that we're all hanging out together. So Absolutely, I loved it today, mate. guys. Thank you. Absolutely. You, are, thanks, you are one cool hombre. There he is, the great Trevor Hindi. Pinch me. Pinch me. I think I'm dreaming. And if I am, please don't wake me. Gibbo, there is another episode, Locate, Negotiate, with a point of difference, our special guest, the great Trevor Hendy. That was, that was awesome. Yeah, it was compelling, mate. It was great to have yeah. him on. Absolutely, yeah. without doubt. Until next time, my friend, um, I'll let you get busy selling up a Coomera. <laughs> All right, mate. <laughs> well, sure, we, no doubt we'll be talking. John Gibson, talking real estate, locate, negotiate.com.au. Catch you next time. God bless and bye for now.